Parenthood is a time of so much change for you and your baby. A little reliable information can go a long way towards making this new life a good life. I'm Jessica Rolf, and this is My New Life, a Love Every Podcast. Few moments are more tender in those first few weeks of life than when your baby reaches out and takes your finger while in your arms. It's the all-important language of touch at work, something babies intuitively know well before they are verbal. But social connection is not the only connection at work here. There are neural connections forming as your baby makes contact with your finger. Here to tell us more about those connections and the importance of touch for both baby and parent is Rebecca Parlakian. She is Senior Director of Programs at Zero to Three, a national nonprofit that focuses on healthy development of infants, toddlers, and families. Much of the work she is doing at Zero to Three is connected to the work of Dr. Andrew Meltzoff at the University of Washington Institute for Learning and Brain Sciences. I asked her to explain what that research tells us about the sense of connectedness that babies feel to other human beings. Well, I think a lot of us underestimate how much babies are taking in, right? Because they can't talk, their ability to communicate is limited. But in truth, what is so exciting about Dr. Meltzoff's and his team's work is that it's beginning to draw a picture for us of what truly the, the breadth of what babies are understanding and learning in their earliest months of life. So one of the takeaways from his study was that when infants are shown adults pressing their hands or feet against objects and they, you know, are just watching it, the parts of their brain assigned to that part of the body are kind of lighting up. It's almost like the infant is sort of learning, oh, that's what that body part can do. So it becomes this really interesting process of how the baby's brain is mapped just by observing interactions. And they're beginning to develop their own body map in their brains through their observations. And we knew that all adults had a fully developed body map in the brain, but we didn't fully understand how this process unfolds in infants. And so Dr. Meltzoff's research brings home the fact that babies really are watching, taking in, and wiring at the neural level everything they're seeing and experiencing. And so do babies really know that they have, like, when do they know that they have hands or that their limbs belong to them? Yes. So a lot of times we talk about this process of like discovering their hands, right? So like right around four months or, you know, three to four months, you begin to see babies lift their hands up into their field of vision and just look at them and kind of move them. And that's when they're first starting to figure out like, oh yeah, I have these things. And then right around four months, babies will begin to grasp and have this drive to grasp and reach. And if you ever were hoop earrings around a four month old, you totally get the instinct to grab. <laughs> <laughs> And then if we think about touch and we're talking about grasping and, you know, understanding that our bodies belong to ourselves, which is such important learning for a baby. Can we talk now about skin on skin contact? How important is skin to skin contact between a parent and a baby? 
Well, we know that it's very, very important for babies born prematurely. So that has been one of the, you know, great leaps forward in the care in the NICU is this trend toward allowing what we call kangaroo care, which is when the baby's, you know, health is stable enough that parents can hold them, you know, skin on skin in the NICU. The research shows that, you know, often they will see the heart rate begin to stabilize and also see improved oxygen saturation levels. So we know that skin-on-skin contact is, you know, at the end of the day, we're all mammals, right? So, you know, it really, as a baby, where we belong is, you know, on and with our people. And so that that co-regulation process can happen. The baby is feeling our warmth and smelling our scent. I mean, newborn babies can distinguish their mother's scent very, very quickly after birth and the father's scent very soon after birth as well. So. We know that these touch-based interactions help them feel like they are home, that they're with their people, and that their people are the ones who they can trust to feel safe and secure. So in our modern world, when we have, you know, we're wearing so many clothes all the time, like how does this show up or what kind of recommendations do you have for parents kind of after the hospital for babies and even for older children, for toddlers? Yeah. So I think we also, we have to remember that even with the layers that we have on, we still smell like us. I mean, so that's why sometimes with toddlers, if a toddler is having trouble falling asleep or something, and mom, let's say mom or dad is on a business trip, we might give them like an old t-shirt of ours to sleep with because despite everything there is our scent embedded in everything we do. So that can be a real source of comfort and a special lovey for children. Yeah, it's, it really gets back to such core biology, you know, when yeah. we really think about it. <laughs> what do you make of the research that indicates that babies don't get the same benefit by being hugged by a friendly stranger as they do by a loved one? I think it makes a lot of sense because, again, I mean, if you think about holding hands with someone, right? You could hold hands with 10 different people today, but if one of them was someone that you hold hands with frequently, right? You would probably recognize that touch, the pressure of that touch, the warmth of the hand, the texture of the skin. And that hand is going to feel better to you than the nine other random hands that you've held. And this is just another example of how babies are so savvy that they understand that they are being held by someone who's not mom, not dad, not grandma, that they recognize that it's a loving touch, but it's not a loving touch from a familiar person. So we don't derive the same benefit. Just like if a stranger came up to hug you, you might be like, okay, thanks, but you're not going to probably feel comforted from it in the same way than if you had a dear friend or a family member give you that hug. So we often talk about skin to skin contact as I almost feel this kind of like oxytocin rush when I am with my child. My four-year-old woke me up this morning in bed and we had like skin to skin time. So I still do that with my, my little girl. I think the question is, is like, what is the science? Is there any research that supports real skin to skin contact after the hospital? The research shows that parents don't have to sort of feel like it's necessary to have skin to skin contact, you know, with shirts off, right? You 
just holding your baby, wearing your baby is giving them the, the beautiful input, the scent, the, the touch, the pressure of, you know, feeling, you know, the pressure of them on you and you, you know, you holding them and rubbing their backs. That's, that is magic to a baby. So again, you know, parents can just, you know, in the NICU, skin to skin with, you know, shirts off makes a lot of sense based on the research. But as babies get older, you know, they just holding and wearing babies is a, a beautiful practice. And actually cultures that wear their babies more frequently um, tend to report that their babies are less fussy. So it also might be a strategy, you know, if your baby has a more intense temperament or tends to be a bit fussier. In terms of noticing feeding cues, for example, it's certainly much easier when you're wearing your baby, right? So there may be opportunities to just notice the cues of babies more consistently and respond to them in a more timely way when babies are close and being warm. And then massage. We often talk about baby massage. What role can massage play in enhancing that, that bond between a parent and a child? I think a lot of the research around massage is really aligned with this same idea of, you know, when mom, you know, massages arms and down to fingers and legs and down to toes, babies are truly feeling like where their entire body exists in space, which is a pretty cool thing. And the other piece of baby massage that when it's done by a parent and when a parent is really engaging in massage in a way where they're responding to their baby's cues. Cause some babies might be like, I don't really like when you touch my toes. And if a parent notices that and is able to adjust and respond, these are opportunities again, to build the trust between parent and child, to let the baby know that I, I see your communications and I will honor them. And really using that touch, that sensory experience as an opportunity to connect and strengthen the bond, I think is really where the importance of massage is. I also think massage can be really helpful from a, a regulatory perspective. So again, Using massage techniques for babies that are really feeling upset or distressed or overwhelmed um, to be able to use a massage technique that is soothing and that provides that sense of calmness and containment that babies and toddlers often need because, you know, they don't have those strategies yet to soothe themselves consistently. Yeah. And I remember for very little babies, I remember needing to close out other kinds of stimulation. So mm -hmm. really using a soft voice, having soft lights when I was massaging my baby, because it is so stimulating for them. It and, is. you know, it's, it's one, it's, you're really, truly like deeply stimulating one of their core senses. So just thinking about it in that way, you know, I, I remember realizing that this is really a big deal for them. Yeah. And, you know, when we think about temperament, there's nine elements of temperament. And one of them is how how babies or how people process sensory information. So some babies, you know, will feel like feel the massage, will want you, like will be able to tolerate you singing and, you know, have the lights on. While other babies, you know, if you're watching carefully and noticing that other babies may be totally overwhelmed, like you said, by having a massage and a parent singing and having the lights on. And so we really just need to remember that temperament is beginning, those characteristics are beginning to emerge at three to four months of age. And that even as infants, they're going to have preferences about how their body is touched. 
And again, when we honor that and respect that, we're just giving our baby such a powerful message that you are important. I see you and I respect you. And that, you know, that's love. What you just said gets to my next question, which I'm always been really curious about this range of comfort that babies and toddlers have with sensory input, that it can really vary among children. Some children love to get their hands messy and squish Mm -hmm. the finger pain and other children really have an aversion to touching things. So can you help us understand that range and, and why that is? So the short answer is that it really is part of our temperament and a temperament is neurologically wired. Parents don't make temperament and You know, there's no such thing as a bad or a good temperament, but it's certainly true that, you know, certain elements of temperament can be experienced by parents as easier or less easy. So, for example, I had the kid who, you know, hated having seams on her socks and my son, I've cut every label out of every shirt and pants for his entire life, I think. (laughs) So, you know, these preferences exist and it's part of who we are as a human. So I think we just need to remember that as much as we see ourselves in our babies and toddlers, they come into the world as completely unique individuals. And we kind of talk about a child's approach to sensory experiences. We say some children tend to be more sensory aversive, like they don't really like to kind of want to do finger paint, right? Or we talk about children who are sensory seeking. These are the kids who want to hug all of their friends, right? And they want to touch everything in sight. It's not that it's bad or good. It's just who your child is. Now, for a child who's more sensory aversive, we don't have to just throw up our hands and say, oh, I guess that's just who you are. Like, we'll never do Play-Doh. We can, you know, slowly over time continue to offer sensory experiences and let them try. We can modify sensory experiences. Like, for example, we can have them, you know, put their hand in a little, you know, plastic glove or even into a baggie, or we can put the um, Play-Doh into as like a Ziploc bag and have them touch the Play-Doh through the bag. And then over time, build their sensory knowledge about this, you know, texture and this material and over time, take it out of the Ziploc bag. Interesting. And so I think that, you know, another tip that I have tried is using a popsicle stick. So if there's shaving cream or something that they're not interested in, but using an implement. That's a great idea. To start to explore and get increased comfort level with the sensory play. So this all is, but what is the case for sensory play then? Then what is, why is this helpful for a child's development? Why should we try to encourage the children who are naturally less interested in getting messy into engaging with things like Play-Doh? Well, I think we want to encourage children to explore the world through their senses, because how will we ever know what firm means or what squishy means or what prickly means or smooth if children never experience the world or objects that have those qualities, right? It's also a drive, a form of curiosity for young children. So many children you know, explore the world and learn about the world through their senses. So for example, by touching a ball, we sort of get a sense of 
what this object can do. It's designed to roll. Or if we touch a toy car and we feel those smooth wheels on our hands, we begin to kind of form predictions about what the purpose of this object is. I remember when I was, you know, taking child development courses in college and one of my textbooks said that babies have a very unadvanced exploratory system that goes eye, hand, mouth. I see it, I grab it, I put it in my mouth because that sort of tells me what this thing is and what it can do. Oh yeah, let's talk about mouth as this place for incredible sensory exploration. Can you speak to why mouthing is natural and important? Well, there are so many sensory receptors, you know, around the lips and mouth, first of all. So it's a great way to get information for a young baby. And we know that that is you know, one of the primary ways that they are doing exactly that, creating predictions about what things are and what they can do. I think for a lot of parents, mouthing is tricky because parents are so worried about their babies getting sick that it's, you know, I, I've heard so many times, like, take that out of your mouth or don't let her put that in her mouth. If we can create an environment of yes for babies, it really meets their developmental needs because as infants, they don't have a lot of tools at their disposal to explore the world. They really just have their hands and mouths as babies. So letting them explore in ways that are developmentally aligned with what they can do helps them grow and learn. There was also a really cool, it was a small study, but the study found that the more that babies played with foods like peas on their high chair tray, the more likely they were to try those new foods. So there is a research-based argument to be made for playing with your food, that playing with it, you know, makes you feel more familiar with it and thus you're more likely to try it. I love that. <laughs> and, and many babies instinctively find solace in like sucking their thumb or a finger. Is this, mm -hmm. is this a positive development? Yeah, I think it's developmentally expected, right? Because young babies, at least initially, are really comforted by, you know, parents' closeness, by being held, but also by sucking, by drinking milk, right? Uh, and that's very comforting for babies. And I think, you know, if parents have, you know, fed their babies, they'll notice that sometimes the babies stop sucking for nutrition and they're just kind of, you know, I used to call it like lazy sucking, right? When they're just kind of like not really actively swallowing, but they're just kind of playing. And that's a soothing process. And that soothing that they derive from sucking starts from infancy. And of course, it makes sense then that, you know, like I said, babies don't have a lot of tools available to them, but one of the tools they have is their hand or a pacifier. Parents introduce the pacifier. And so they transfer that comforting um, pattern of sucking to their finger or to a pacifier or to a blanket. I mean, so you kind of see them seeking out and using this strategy because they just don't have a lot of strategies when they're very, very little. What we hope to see over time is that as children grow and they develop new and expanded ways of comforting themselves, that they don't have to turn to sucking so frequently or so consistently. And I yes. think from you know, the dental perspective, that's also recommended that they shift away from sucking as a strategy. 
Well, I'm a failure as a child development specialist because both of my kids used a pacifier until they were three. So, and they both had braces. So (laughs) there you go. You can't do it all. You can't do it all. And I wanted to ask, what is your earliest memory of touch? You know, it's funny. I think my earliest memory of touch is, I don't know if you can imagine, but the feeling of someone holding you up and they have their hands under your armpits, you can kind of feel someone's thumbs in your armpit. My earliest memory is someone holding me up and feeling those thumbs digging into my armpit and them saying, look through the window at your new baby brother. And I remember looking through a window at just a bunch of babies. And that was when I saw my brother and I was three when he was born. So... Yeah, I love that. I have yeah. chills. Oh, what a sweet <laughs> first memory. Yes, he's a, he, he turned out to be a great brother. So I was lucky. That's so fun to hear. So thank you so much for being with us, Rebecca. It's been wonderful having you and hearing more about your insights and your work. So thank you. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure. I hope to talk to you all again soon. Touch has played a major role in the bonding between me and my children. Let's look at some of the ways we can get the most out of physical contact with our babies. Takeaway number one, skin on skin is not the only way for you and your baby to benefit from the power of touch. As babies get older, simply holding and wearing your baby can offer a lot of the same benefits. Cultures that wear their babies more frequently often report that their babies are less fussy. So it also might be a strategy if your baby has more intense temperament or tends to be a bit fussier. Takeaway number two, If your child gets squirmy around certain textures, try offering a plastic glove, baggie, or a popsicle stick. This barrier can make new textures a whole lot more appealing for those who are sensory averse. Takeaway number three, whenever possible, give your baby opportunities to explore with their mouths. The lips and mouth are loaded with sensory receptors and therefore convey all kinds of information to your baby's growing brain. There is some evidence that babies who play with their food are more likely to try new foods. You can find more information on touch, like skin-on-skin contact and sensory play, and the Love Every blog at loveevery.com. You've been listening to My New Life. If you think this episode might be helpful to a fellow parent, please share. And if you'd like to learn more about the topics discussed in today's show, head over to loveevery.com. That's L-O-V. E-V-E-R-Y dot com. I'm Jessica Rolfe. Thanks for listening.